Attention comic book fans. Did you know that you could be earning cash back rewards for buying comic books? How? With the Marvel MasterCard. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash list for more info. Yeah, you know, you'll get 3% cash back rewards on comics, on your movie purchases, restaurants, and more with the Marvel MasterCard. And... 1% cashback rewards on everything else. Wow, there's no limit on the cashback rewards you can earn, and all with no annual fee. You, as a Marvel MasterCard holder, will enjoy special Marvel benefits like three months of a Marvel Unlimited subscription. And get this, you can choose your superhero from one of six cool card designs, too, like Captain America's Shield, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, just to name a few. Visit marvelmastercard.com slash list to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash L-I-S-T. Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics out August 1st, 2018. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And what's up, everybody? My name is Tucker Marcus. How you doing? See, this is the new, <laughs> brand new Tucker who has come fresh from the World Board Gaming Championships. That's right. That's right. I acquired a... a I think it's just the mania that has just come over me, uh, just being cooped up in like a, a hotel playing, you know, Settlers of Catan for five days straight. Break it know. down for me. What happened there? Uh, Is it like you watch people play? You play? Do you pay a fee to play? I need to know. I'm kind of yes to all of those questions. So there's like, it is a bit of a misnomer. It's not like strictly like you have to qualify from like Norway to get there. Although people come from all over the world, it is, it's more of a convention than like a, a tournament. Although there are tournaments and things like that. I participated in a few myself. Did you win? Uh, nope. Uh, you're letting us down <laughs> and uh but yeah it's just kind of open gaming trying out new games watching you know learning new things and yeah there's a lot of great stuff actually i, I was thinking about one game in particular and, and i think i'm gonna talk about it when we talk about star wars number 52 looking forward to it we have a bunch of comics to get into this week if you're just joining us on marvel's the polis we're going to talk about all the new issues out the print stuff digital stuff, collections. We're going to talk about the things that are hitting the apps this week. We're going to dive right in with our first book of the week, which is Ant-Man and the Wasp number four. That's right. Ant-Man and the Wasp number four is written by Mark Wade with art by the incredible Javier Garon, colors by Israel Silva, and letters by Joe Caramagna. This is a really cool issue because I feel like it takes advantage of the medium in a really, really interesting way. We see a lot, especially in the first half of the book, we see a lot of the action kind of in negative and the Wasp is kind of stuck in this strange, like, between world. They're trying to get out of the microverse and get back to the world. But while they are successful at the first part of that, getting back just to normal reality proves to be another problem in and of itself. So not only do we get the great, weird, super weird and super different action with a lot of the strange little characters and little moments that we, we've gotten to know uh, in the first three issues of the series, then just when we think that our heroes have kind of been successful and have achieved what they've been looking to achieve now for a couple issues, they're thrown into an entirely kind of different opposite set of problems. And it's really cool. 
there's uh, some really trippy, weird things here. But what I enjoyed most about this issue is that there are like these big character moments and these moments of real emotion and connection, um, specifically between Scott and his daughter. Those moments hit even harder because they're against this backdrop of like this surreal, wild action. So those moments that are really grounded and down to earth and we get those emotional beats, they hit even harder and they command focus in a really, really big way amongst all the chaos. And it's really great. It's a, you know, it's a tough balancing act, but I feel like it works really well. Yeah, there's like this this relationship between Nadia and Scott that I think they've been putting together through the series. And it, there's this one sequence that I love so much where you have Nadia figuring out what's going on, like figuring out their problems. Right. And uh, they're in like these different states of being. Everything's like you were saying backwards and weird. And Scott is just banging his head and repeating, I will never leave Earth again to mm-hmm, himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that is like a good look at how they gel together because they're just like so different. We often often also talk about Javier Garon and what he does on the comic book page. There's a panel in the middle of a montage in which Nadia is fueling up with coffee and a donut. Her coffee mug is a grumpy little Hulk head Mm -hmm. and it is so small but so appreciated. It's one of those little touches that he takes the time and the care to do that I think is so important and just continues to signify why he's Mm -hmm. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. This is the penultimate issue in this limited series. And for me, this this story, Ant-Man and the Wasp, has elevated Javier Grown to, like, the next level. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been incredible, and I, I've long been a fan of his. But for me, this is just like, okay, he's an, at a new level working now. And there's just so much, like you said, attention to detail, so much great work. I just realized, looking at you, Tucker. Yes. Are you growing a mustache? Okay. I'm so excited. I, I forgot about it myself. I'm so excited. I forgot about I'm so excited. <laughs> so that's part of as the, of the aforementioned uh, World Board Gaming Championships is uh, I like to shave uh, some sort of strange, some might say violent looking uh, facial hair. What? <laughs> I just look like, you know, I look like some guy in the 70s, like who has a pickup truck and questionable motives. Um, and uh, so I decided to carry it through into the work week. It'll probably be gone by tomorrow. No, let it, <laughs> let it keep going. Embrace it, and then you'll never want to part from it. Agent M is in the pocket of big mustache. You better believe I am. <laughs> He's in the mustache lobby. Yeah, you better believe it. Also, I'm in the pocket. I'm in, I'm in something for Mr. Matthew Rosenberg. Oh, yeah. He is the writer of our next book, which is... One of my picks of the week. It is Astonishing X-Men number 14. As I said, written by Matthew Rosenberg. Pencils by Greg Land. Inks by Jay Lyston. Colors by Frank Darmada. And letters by Clayton Cowles. Look, you look at the cover and you got Dazzler. Mm -hmm. And she is terrific. I love Dazzler. Yes, she was sort of created as a very late post-disco creation. And she was a little hinky. But she's cool as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, her powers are she gathers in sound and she turns it into light. She's a singer. She's toured around like probably the galaxy with Lila Cheney. She's an X-Man. She's had cool adventures. And seeing her here makes me so happy. And it's fun because Matt, he like 
plays on so many things that are really happening, like this idea of uh, revivals and uh, nostalgia. She's on a nostalgia tour mm-hmm. uh, and she's playing in her old disco suit, even though like she doesn't have that hair, doesn't have that look right now. And I think it was really fun to get into that. Uh, I also feel like I'm a bit of a Matthew Rosenberg, what's the word? Uh, cartographer? Hmm. Something? I don't know. Because the he always throws in like punk and hardcore references right, right. throughout his books. And so I'm always trying to figure out where they are and what they are. In this one, the title of this issue is Until Our Hearts Stop. And I'm assuming this is a reference to a band that I love and I'm sure he loves as well called Cave In. They uh, were popular in the late 90s and early 2000s in our circles. And they had a record called Until Your Heart Stops. And it is crazy good metal. If you <laughs> like metal or hardcore, woof, it'll melt your face off man it's so good and i know matt's my friend and i'm a little biased but he is probably the best most natural realistic and funny dialogue in comics 100 right like 100 every conversation you read feels like people talking naturally or in a, in a manner that makes sense for you know like bantery entertainment yeah, yeah. like I hear, I read this and I'm like, oh, that could just be people here in the office, you know, snapping at each other back and forth, Mm -hmm. you know, having a good time, talking quick. It just feels right. Yeah. Especially anything around Havoc in this issue, just he is a magnet for idiocy, (laughs) his own idiocy, everybody else's like issues with him and everybody sort of like writing him off and him being like, hey man, whatever, this is what I'm doing. Come with me. This is going to be great. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it. Uh, he feels so fun. Like, you want to go along with him for this ride. And then you've got a character like Colossus who shows up, which I like this because we've had all this drama with Colossus in X-Men Gold. But what happened to him? Well, here we see what's going on with him. And he just wants to punch things. Yeah. And you like it feels right. It feels like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. There's a really funny moment in here where Colossus and Havoc are talking about the Banshees. It's a very short thing. It's like, hey, Banshee's with us. And then Colossus is like, oh, I love Teresa. How's she been? And he's like, no, the other one. And, and then it's like, oh, is he dead? Really quirky, funny X-Men stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we need, a quirky, funny X-Men book that is very action-packed and character-driven. And of course, the art is great, the popping colors. There's this, especially the scene where Dazzler first shows up in this one. It's her big in the, in the page, uh, but popping colors everywhere, the band going nuts in the background, and she just looks super cool. Uh, this is the second issue of the run, and it's it's nonstop. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the art. Um, that's something I was thinking about when reading this is, I feel like Astonishing X-Men, the series as a whole across creative teams, kind of has a visual language its own. You know, there are a few issues by ACO that I'm thinking of that are like this, but it feels very angular and super kinetic and super kind of dynamic. And uh, it, it just it just adds a little bit of like a through line through the entire series. And I th- feel like it works so, so well. More great art is on display, though, in Ben Riley, The Scarlet Spider, number 22. And that comes courtesy of Will Sliney with a narrative written by Peter David Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by Joe Caramagna. As I was reading this story, I just had the immediate thought, cryptobiology rules. I love it. I need it in comics. In this, we get a fight with the two-headed dog. Come on. Can I can I talk about one of my favorite things with that two-headed dog? What? Kane who thwips up the mm-hmm. dog, right? Mm-hmm. Like there he's like, "Ah!" Yeah. And he, he thwips the dog in the face, but the the dog's reaction is gurp. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the G U U U R P P. That is that is maybe my favorite like reaction sound. Yeah, I I totally agree. It it all adds up to be like something that is so uniquely Ben Riley's Scar the Spider. It feels right in a way that that makes just so much sense for this series and for the tone of this series. We end up crashing through like an office building, and I love I love the visualization of it. Um, speaking of Will Sliney and Rochelle Rosenberg, because we have this insane like spider hero fighting a two-headed Cerberus-esque dog in just like an office building kind of setting, but like you have this insane action all against like this like pristine white background, which just feels so right. It just makes the crazy, like I said, crypto-biological fight going on even wilder and weirder. Another thought that I had when I was reading this book is last week we read an issue of Moon Knight And it kind of works in a really interesting way to read these two books for me concurrently because I feel like they share a lot in common. They're kind of spiritually linked in a certain way to me. I feel like both of these characters and both of these stories occupy the kind of stranger, darker, like night stalking corner of the Marvel Universe in a really fun way that takes advantage of like these really weird elements and characters uh, and also aren't afraid to get kind of dark and, and a little bit twisted in, in, in some really fun ways. Obviously, there are some tonal differences between these two books. But for me, that was just something that popped out and it was really, really fun to kind of think of what these books have in common, what they share as far as kind of their respective corners of the universe. Uh, yeah, this is another fantastic entry into Scarlet Spider. Yeah, I really like that comparison with Moon Knight and Scarlet Spider. And also just Ben Riley Scarlet Spider is so madcap. Yeah. Especially the end there. It's just like, oh, this is Peter David having super yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next book is Jamie's Pick of the Week. It is Captain America number two, written by ta Coates with art by Linneal Francis Yu, inks by Jerry Allen Guilin and Linneal, colors by Sonny Go and letters by Joe Caramagna. One, you start with the cover. Ridiculous right? cover. Like Insane. This, this cover by Alex Ross is so good, so detailed, and so like intensely Captain yes, America. Yes, yes. Yeah, it is maximum Captain America. Yeah, seriously. I mean, we're, we already expect like so much from any Alex Rouse cover, but this is just like even greater than the greatness that he always displays. So good. Yeah. And, you know, that that's a difficult thing to, you know, have to follow, but Laniel and company crush. His cap has such presence, such mm-hmm. weight to him, mm-hmm. uh, his movements. It feels so kinetic, so action-packed. Like there's three panels on this one page and Cap is in the foreground. He is just jumping at a helicopter. Things are exploding behind him, but he looks so powerful. He's got the shield so perfectly, Cap. And then you flip the page. The next one is him slinging the shield and it is ultimate Captain America. The form, the muscles, everything about it screams like, oh, this is this is the way Captain America should be drawn. Yeah, that's such a fascinating point you make. And it's really, really interesting to think about just like that is such a difficult thing to have to capture in one image, let alone across an entire issue, let alone across an entire series of just like there's a nobility in his movement. There's a, a such a deliberate and precise way that Cap moves. And it adds, just like you said, it adds to the weight of his character as a whole. There's like a solemn quality, but also such a determined quality. And it adds up to something that is just unmistakably Steve Rogers. Yeah. And it, like, it feels like thinking about no wasted movements. Mm-hmm. He is moving in such ways to take down this crew of nukes and he's 
He's thinking about things. He's planning moves ahead. All of this going on. And then you get to the end, like near the end of this fight, and this shot of him having just finished, and it's like, whew, like he's he's done. He's still ready to battle. But uh, looks so cool. Uh, mustache alert, General <laughs> Thaddeus Ross yep. up in here. He's got a good old big old bushy one. Looks great. Tanahasi is is definitely spinning a story that's about like self, country, duty doubt and and really what cap means in the here and now mm-hmm. uh, which i think is an important story to tell especially in light of the last couple of years of captain america stories that's what needs to be told it's mm-hmm. like a reflection on okay this has all happened where do you go from here how does he deal with things and there's repercussions that are spiraling out of all that and then by the end you get this big last page wow moment wait a minute mm-hmm. this is now taking a new turn of ways i was not expecting at all for me, this is this and Incredible Hulk are two of the most philosophically fascinating and just ocean depth uh, relevant stories that we read week in and week out. I love it so, so much. Such a perfect way for Tanahasi to start this story with Nuke being one of the primary foes. Because, you know, Nuke has, as I was reading this issue in particular, I, I'm going through the first few pages and taking my notes. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about like, he's telling a story of America fighting itself. Um, and we see that embodied in Cap versus Nuke. You know, these are two characters that use the the symbols of this country in very different ways. And then he just kicks it up another level where we see a scene where Steve is like, He's letting off some steam. He's in. He's like practicing boxing with this like hologram uh, sparring partner that is himself. And you know, it's Cap fighting himself. It's America fighting America. It's it's the war of the philosophical meaning of the country and of the fate of the country. It is so fascinating. I mean, this is like thesis worthy kind of stuff already, uh, and it is the perfect 2018 Captain America story. Heck yeah. Next up is our digital exclusive Cloak and Dagger number three, written by Dennis Hopeless, with art by David Messina, Elisabetta D'Amico, and Giada Marchisio, with letters by Travis Lanham. This one, it's a very trippy story. It's like set in reality as well as in this these like twisted dreamlike visions that are created by Gray, that character who is tied to Cloak and Dagger's early days. There's a cool vibe here. It's it's like Dennis Hopeless is got you bouncing around their heads, but also keeps the character struggling, which I think helps keep you on your toes and like this feeling of unease throughout it. Uh, there's also a neat trick where the art is gray except for our, our main character for the in-mind sequences, which uh, is it seems simple, but it's a really affecting piece to keep you uh, grounded in those ones. Also, Scarecrow shows up. Yes, we have a Scarecrow. He's a contortionist and a spy and generally just a jerk. I'm pretty sure he's been dead, brought back to life. He wears a burlap sack on his head. He carries a pitchfork and has a crew of ravens. Uh, but he's pretty creepy here. <laughs> what? That, you know, like, there's... <laughs> I mean, it's a great, like, laid out like that. It It's very succinctly put. That's his thing, man. <laughs> You're you, so right. You can picture him, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Next up. Donnie! Donnie Cates. <laughs> Wait, next up is Donnie Cates? A Donnie Cates special. Why am I yelling? <laughs> it's because it's Cosmic Ghost Rider number two. And on page one, panel two, this is it, folks. 
It's the big moment. It's the moment I know we've all been waiting for. You're rushing to your your local comic shop to pick this up for this panel, for this caption in particular. Where does this story take place? On a planet known as Marcus Centauri. That's right. It happened. I remember Donnie. What happened? You have to say it. I got a planet named after me in Cosmic Ghost Rider. Thank you so much. I remember, like, it was months ago now, Donnie tweeted at me to say, I just wrote Tucker Marcus's name into a comic. And I freaked out on this very show mm-hmm. in a manner similar to, to that, which I just did now. And uh, and here it is. It is wild. It is so fun. I, yeah, I mean, you were on the cover of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur last week. That is, like you said, is uh, one of the pinnacles. Um, uh, so it's great to, you know, enter the club. Of, yeah, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, this is the coolest thing. It's crazy. Yes, it's uh, so awesome. It feels insane, and it is so appreciated, and it's so much fun, uh, not just to, to see that in a book, but because it is in such a wild, awesome series like Cosmic Ghost Rider. This story, as I said, is written by Donny Cates with art by Dylan Burnett, colors by Antonio Fabella, and letters by Clayton Cowles. This is all about three things. One, it's my pick of the week because I'm just... I'm duty-bound, I'm honor-bound to pick this, not least because it's an incredible, super fun, super strange, super, super unique story, but because of, you know, my plan and everything. I This story is... is I love how excited you are because you started out with a number of things that you were going to talk yes, about, yes, yes. and you have just lost you the You know what? I, 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 this I, makes I'm, me happy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoehorn this in there. Two, it's about... Three things. So we have 2A, 2B, and 2C here, okay? 2A is about Cosmic Ghost Rider Frank Castle. 2B is Baby Thanos. And in this story, 2C is Galactus. You add all those things into the story, and it adds up to just something that can only can happen here. And three is there's a great bit of hilarious, wonderful self-awareness, I feel like, in this story because I don't want to go too deep into the, the narrative here, but it's so wild. At a certain point, the Watcher shows up and literally just tells Frank Castle, you can't do this. <laughs> you can't do this. You can't do this. And that, for me, reads like Donnie saying, like, I know. Like, guys, <laughs> I know what I'm doing is so wild. And just, like, it is what everyone is talking about with this series, how it's just going so far out there in the best ways. But he does that. And then two pages later, ratchets it up even higher with, you know, it's been much talked about online and things like that. We see a new bunch of heroes introduced into the story, including Jugger Duck. Finally. Jugger Duck is here. The time has come. <laughs> I can't wait to see our first Jugger Duck cosplayer. Yes. If that doesn't show up to New York Comic Con, then fandom, you have failed us. Jugger Duck? Yes. Come you on. should you should cosplay as Jugger Duck. <laughs> Judy can help you. Oh, yeah. We have the capabilities yeah, to turn you team. into Juggerduck. Wow. We have the technology. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's Juggernaut and Howard the Duck for those not in the know. And yeah, just continue reading for more of the madness in Cosmic Coast Rider. Yeah. I love the way he writes Baby Thanos. One point, Baby Thanos with like this look at it, like this, oh, sad face, and says, why couldn't I do a murder? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Cosmic Ghost Rider didn't let the baby kill someone. And then Baby Thanos calls the Watcher Sky Baby, yeah. which is my favorite description yes. of Uatu. There's also, this is sort of the recipe for my favorite type of what if. It posits a theory. What if 
something happened. Mm-hmm. And th- the one here is, what if the Punisher raised Thanos as a child? Mm-hmm. Obviously, everything spins out of control into chaos and death and calamity, and I am so excited for yeah, that. Yeah, there are also great layers to it, right? Because it's, you know, it is Frank Castle, and though he is millions of years into the future, though he has experienced, you know, thousands and millions of lives himself as the immortal being that he, he is now, you know, he still has those roots as the Punisher, as someone who lost his family. And, you know, that made him who he is today. But it also, you know, seeing how that impacts now, how he would interact with a child is really interesting. But like you said, there's so many great, hilarious moments. Yeah, I could talk forever about how many funny little, little moments of dialogue and things like that. I love it. Great pick. Up next is Deadpool number Three, written by Scotty Young, art by Nick Klein, letters by Jeff Eckleberry. Oh, man. Nick Klein, man. He is a master at drawing giant, vomiting, planetary conquerors and super space muckety-mucks. Just yeah. knocking it out of the box. Deadpool's park. been all about barf in recent months. Yeah. And it continues. Yeah. Big barf book. <laughs> you know, if, if that's your thing, then great. Triple B. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a great mix of, of really cool yet weird designs and just gnarly, just gross, grossness here. Mm-hmm. Whether it's all the barfing or Deadpool's mutilated weird body, yeah, yeah. Uh, which somehow there's even a joke about how he somehow just loses his costume, uh, breaks the fourth wall. He's like, something wrong with you. You got the little baby covers and now all the naked people? What's up with you, Scotty? A really funny moment. And then the the sight of when Colossus fastball specials Deadpool you just feel Wade's glee mm-hmm. in the dialogue, the tone, the art, everything. It's, this is just a lot of fun. Next up is fun in a completely different way. Is this what you, is this what you call fun? <laughs> it is extremely fun, but also extremely not. It is not fun for certain characters. I'll say that. This is Death of the Inhumans, number two, written by Donny Cates, again, with art by Ariel Olivetti, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Clayton Cowles. The first thing I wrote down in my notes was, well, it just continues. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It is, this is not a misnomer. Um, We've said it many times. This is very clear what Donnie is setting out to do here, and he is just doing it so well. Uh, We see all the destruction um, that has befallen the Inhumans so far, and what is so kind of desperately sad about this is exactly that. It's the desperation of the royal family to respond to this. It's a a threat uh, unlike any they've seen before. Uh, It is an existential threat, and they're they're reeling. They are having an incredibly tough time catching up with it, let alone getting a handle on it. And it's really, really fascinating stuff. There's a great moment in this story as Karnak kind of is sent as an emissary to speak to the Kree, which uh, is kind of evolves into a big part of this story. And some really wild stuff uh, happens. Uh, wild stuff. I was that hoping. Wild yes. stuff. Golf swing. Uh. <laughs> Trying to figure out. I'm glad you at least know the reference. Yes, thank you. Like you you can make it. Yeah. Uh, I pride myself on being able to reference things that happened long before I was born. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, there is more of a Vox, which is so. This is this is what I was talking about. The really dark, fun stuff here because it is so so cool to read a villain as dark as this, but also as 
potent as this. I mean, it's not some pontificating villain who is talking, you know, more than you're doing. No, his, um, his actions. Exactly. They, it, well, it's so true. There's one thing about Vox that I, you start to pick up on. Vox uses we instead of I. Mm. And that, that's weird, right? Like, I've been in the room when the story was explained. So I know how this goes for the most part. But I still got swept up in this issue. Oh, yeah. I actually gritted my teeth and balled my fist when Black Bolt marches on the Cree. Like that sequence, those couple of pages, uh, calling it the Black Eulogy, it's just Donnie is just branding things yeah, and yeah. nailing it. But Ariel Olivetti crafts these pages that are so detailed yet not complicated mm-hmm. and not – it doesn't add more to add more but it's there to tell the story. It's it's the mark of a master of like how you frame things, how you position things, how you draw things that add, 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 but don't overdo it. Yeah. Uh, it's really, it's just so smart. His black belt being so intense and determined, but you can see the sadness in his eyes. It's, whew, it's so good. And then again, another last page of just what the yeah. frig. Yeah, yeah. That was Oof. like the cinema for yeah. me. Just like so badass, so intense. One of my favorite endings uh, that I can remember recently. So good. Heck yeah. Up next is Hunt for Wolverine Weapon Lost number four. This is written by Charles Soule, art by Moteo Bufagni, colors by Jim Charlampitas, letters by Joe Sabino. And uh, this is it. This is the last part of the first of the four miniseries. So we're getting to the end of these Hunt for Wolverine series. And it's starting to wrap up some threads, but spin us into the final story that'll get us to where we need to get to. And I like that it has answers, but it still has questions. But here, I just got to say, Misty Knight, the best. Yep. Her arm has a special shield power. She's just like, blomp, shield. <laughs> uh, she can extend it. It shoots explodey bits. It is the coolest thing. They get close to figuring out what's up with Wolverine, but it may not be what everyone wants. Mm-hmm. And so the mystery of all of that, and because that's, believe you me, that does not spoil anything. There's so much going on here. And the mystery of what Soterra is all about, that really deepens. I really particularly love the sense of closure we get between Misty and Frank. And it's closing that door, but also sort of like being like, hey, you know, maybe it's a crack open. Mm-hmm. Y'all want to <laughs> holler at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last scene with Cypher. So sweet, so sad. You know those people who need help. And like that moment was really well done in the midst of like chasing this crazy mystery. You have this this quiet moment. It was really great. Yeah, I I loved the exploration of of Wolverine as a weapon. You know, it is it is in his origin, but it's something that we can forget given the personality, given the idiosyncrasies of the character that we know and love so much. But that is so elemental to this character. The other thing that I love so much is just seeing Charles Soule write Daredevil now that this this four issue arc is over, seeing him write Daredevil in a completely different context from the main mm. series, he just wears him like a glove. I mean, yeah. it's just the most perfect pairing, and I love it so much. Uh, this next issue is another one that I mentioned uh, as one of those great kind of philosophical explorations. This is Immortal Hulk number four, which is written by Al Ewing, pencils by Joe Bennett, inks by Roy Jose, colors by Paul Mounts, and letters by Corey Petit. You can tell that Al Ewing is planning huge things that he's going to be writing this book for a very long time, just given how he is starting this story, because you might expect 
a giant smashing uh, story like this to come all guns blazing. You know, it is like the most powerful character in the Marvel Universe. He's all about the strength and that physicality. But it is a really, really interesting way to begin by looking at the ramifications of this character and exploring pretty much everything around him and building a silhouette that way and asking the reader to to learn more about the character by learning about others' perspectives of him and seeing the, the, the effects of his actions. It's really, really, really cool because, again, this story is more about those exploring the Hulk than it is about the Hulk himself in a really, really great way, though we do get some fantastic character moments with Bruce Banner and with the Hulk. The journalist that we saw that we were introduced to in issue number three continues her uh, investigation of of the Hulk and what the Hulk is doing in the world at the moment. And she runs into Sasquatch. Uh, She runs into Walter Langowski, who has his own fascinating parallels with Bruce Banner as a man, as a monster, as someone who is gamma radiated. And we get some great flashback moments between them because they were roommates in college. And seeing that, that's, that's part of what I'm talking about with this psychological, emotional angle that this book, I feel like, does so well. It This series is kind of like a a study on the ramifications of traumatic events and of how the past affects your psyche and affects the way you do things in the present because we see that in full force here. We see them as young kids together, Walter and Bruce, and then we know very well what they are today. And throughout it all, there are just some incredible horror comic beats in here that are just so well done. Joe Bennett is, he is just like knocking it out of the park, unlike anything else right now. Not just in the action, but in, like I was saying, that cinematic vibe, the way that we see panel by panel these little horror moments emerge and things like that. It it adds up to something super special. Yeah, the whole art team for me is just like firing together. Joe Bennett, Roy Jose, Paul Mounts. You look at the details on the line work and then the vibrancy of the colors. They produce these palpable feelings of terror or anger in people's faces that just nail it. it uh, There's a dude who stabs someone in this bar, and the panel right before he does it, the look on his face is so incredible. And it's such a, you know, his his head is such a small part of the overall page, but it's so detailed. Uh, and again, it goes back to acting and comics that we've talked about before. Or Jacqueline McGee, who's the reporter, her body language and her posture when she meets a dude in a hospital, like, you look at her eyes and it's just this this reaction. You feel exactly how she felt in that moment. I could have given more context for Sasquatch, but they did a great job here. Mm-hmm. I don't need to say anything more. Yeah. He's cool. I have a favorite alternate reality version of Sasquatch. Uh, it was Heather McDaniel, and she was in Exiles. She was awesome. Wow. Again, I'm always going to bring it back to Exiles. <laughs> Got to read that book. The old book, the new book. Oh, and the bar that they go to in the middle of the issue is named after longtime Hulk artist Herb Trimp. Yeah, I was wondering. Little details, little details. It's so good. Speaking of so good, my other pick of the week is Infinity Wars. Number one is written by Jerry Duggan, art by Mike Diodato Jr. and Frank Martin with letters by Corey Petit. This opens with one of the coolest, most engaging opening pages, like the single page. It's a close-up of Gamora and her saying the line, a piece of me is missing. And it's just like... The tone, the tenor of what we're in store for, 
is really it's just like setting it right there uh cool colors of like you know her green skin but the reflections of the lights and you open up and oh we're in this bar which looks like it's called sibolsky's bar mm-hmm. uh from what i can piece together and it's cool it's just this discussion between star lord and gamora and you know there's this kiss and this tension all this stuff and the idea is that the infinity stones are now around and they have to deal with them dr strange is saying all right kids you got a stone and you got a stone and i got a stone let's come together and figure out what to do because something bad is going to happen and they keep talking about thanos 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 well if you read infinity wars prime you know Thanos done got his head cut off. (laughs) No good. Backtracking a little bit. I love when we have these big books that have lists of the characters appearing, Mm -hmm. like in the, like, sort of the recap title page. Off the bat, I see Iron Lad, Sandman, Typhoid Mary, The Spot. Super into it. Iron Lad, great character from Young Avengers. He is a version of Kang the Conqueror different time period just a neat neat character got to give major props to this art team again i love talking about the artists and, and the crew so it's diodato and frank martin and they have this double page spread the gathering of the infinity watch and it's this giant ship landing in new york city and oh man the the colors do such an incredible job of giving this depth and detail but Diodato, he lays out such intricacy and texture to to all of it, from the trees to the the woman and the dog running and all this other stuff. It's really, really well done sort of scene setting. Mm -hmm. You mentioned like cinema when we were talking about another book. Well, this feels like... You know, like a Spielbergian yeah, shot. Can, you can right hear here. it. You can yeah. hear the ship landing. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is also due to Jerry Duggan, who just, he knows what he's doing. He writes, you know, really great characters. Uh, he's got this great creepy bullseye and this wonderful angry rocket. Tombstone calls Rocket a Muppet at one point, <laughs> which I cracked up. I really dig seeing the different point of views for the uh, the people who have the stones. Usually, you know, the Infinity Stones, they're these cosmic things or, you know, the there's this team of like Illuminati, quote unquote, Avengers had them for a while. And so there's this bigger, bigger weight to them. But here, this, not necessarily everybody deals in cosmic. You know, Turk and Bullseye not knowing who Thanos is was terrific. Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, who's... Who's Thanos? And he's like, I don't know, a big dead guy. <laughs> On the flip side, we also have the story of Loki and Floa, and they're searching around for the truth. And I think that's going to be the real interesting thing because Loki is like digging into things uh, like the nature of reality in ways that I'm excited for Jerry and the team to really, really get into here. Uh, we find out the identity of Requiem. Severed heads get tossed around. Uh, heroes get punched through buildings. And there's an homage to a classic bullseye moment. Nice. I, when I was reading this, I thought of you because the Infinity Watch meets in this. They meet in Central Park in New York. Immediately, I thought, this is the Council of Elrond. <laughs> <laughs> They're all gathering. They're trying to figure out the best way to do this. So like kind of uneasy allies to say, you know, at the best of times. Uh, and it just works so well. Thanks to our advertiser this week, which is ZipRecruiter. And, uh, you know, I was talking about Infinity Wars and we see Turk. He's got one of the stones and he brings with him a crew. He's got a bunch of people on his payroll. And I know. Hiring can be super challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates all over the world. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash list. 
We see the Power Stone used to devastating effect in Infinity Wars this week. And much like that, ZipRecruiter has powerful matching technology which scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And they got great results, super high percentages of people who actually connect with the right people for the right jobs immediately. And with results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at the exclusive web address ZipRecruiter.com slash list. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-I-S-T. ZipRecruiter.com slash list. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, the next book is Marvel Rising, Ms. Marvel, and Squirrel Girl number one. I am in love with Marvel Rising, with this team dynamic, and it is just continuing to be so perfect. G. Willow Wilson writes alongside Ryan North and Devin Grayson with art by Ramon Box and Irene Strakowski with colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by Clayton Cowles. There's so much uh, Marvel Rising stuff coming out of San Diego, uh, Comic-Con, um, really, really exciting, just across media, and there's just so much great stuff on the way. Uh, and this book is just the perfect entry point. Like, this is exactly what I want, given how excited I am for everything that's coming later this year and moving forward. It's just so great to see these characters in action right now. I felt like reading this, I feel like any writer can jump and, and jump in and write this team just because the characters fit so perfectly together. The team dynamic feels so right between uh, Kamala and Dorian Green and America Chavez. There are so many idiosyncrasies here, uh, and it just adds up to be such a joyful read. Despite all the action, despite all the adventure that they get into, the tone of these characters will always prevail. And uh, that's why I just feel like this, the, the Marvel Rising crew and this enterprise as a whole just makes so much sense because it can exist in any medium and it it is so great here. What I also really loved about this issue is it feels like it takes advantage of like modern technology and it is just perfectly positioned for a reader in our current day and age. There's great stuff with like texting that is used to, to really great effect, but also there's like a video game aspect to it that I really, really loved. Like um, if you need to know what a, a massively multiplayer online role-playing <laughs> game is, this is the issue that explains it and both makes me want to play and not want to play. Yes. I'm a single-player video gamer, so MMOs are always been tricky for me, but they do such a great job of being like, but it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah I feel like that's Ryan North coming through here. Um, no, I, Willow yeah. is a huge video game player. Yeah, I no, don't know how much of it is. Like, I think it's all of them together. I don't know. Right. I don't know Devin very well. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. I, I'm just thinking of Ryan North and his like his like tech background and all that goes into every single issue of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Um, but yeah, like I said, th this is just like peanut butter and chocolate. It is the best thing in the world. It is sweetness on sweetness. It is so just great. It will just never not be the most fun book to read. Heck yeah. Also super fun is Spidey School's Out, number five, written by John Barber, art by Todd Nock and Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by Comic Craft's Jimmy Betancourt. I got to hang out and do a stage event with Todd at Comic-Con, and he's just the best. He draws so quickly, yet retains all his style, his 
details, action, acting, composition, story. He's so friggin' good. It just <laughs> makes me grit my teeth. But John and Todd just they pack this story with quippy bits, fast-paced action. There's this chase with Vulture that is so fun, full of great Spidey moments, like all the interactions between Pete slash Spidey and Gonky that I just ate up. Mm-hmm. Those are so fun. Uh, all right. Next book is Star Wars number 52, which is written by Kieran Gillen, art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru Effects, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, Vader is in his little TIE fighter, sitting in his <laughs> cockpit, doing his thing. He's chasing after Han and Chewie, and they're in the Falcon. And he just, there's just one panel of him saying, No escape. Yeah. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> yes, dude. It was so good. I got to ask you, Tucker, is this the birth of Rogue Squadron? It's it, it's very interesting. The way I was looking at yeah. it, yeah. In a New Hope, Luke's crew sort of they come out of it, but they never call themselves Rogue Squadron or Rogue Group. Right. That happens in Empire. Right. From what I remember, understand, and did a little looking around. Right. But they there was no formal formation in movie canon previous to Empire. Right. And right. so. This taking place between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back felt to me like this was the canon introduction to the Rogue Squadron. There are so many little, you know, canonical historical details that go into it. Specifically, I'm thinking of like Rogue One. There's an entire movie about like this like rogue team that uses that name and things like that. But they, they specifically reference that yes, here yes, saying yeah. like that is our inspiration. Yes. That, that is the that spirit like, to what we're doing. Yeah, and that seemed like that seemed like the very deliberate seeds that were being planted in that movie. But yeah, I, I'm definitely with you. It's really cool always to see, you know, it's not a huge moment. It's not meant to be like a huge story beat or anything like that. But like that's why it's so good. It's just this little thing, a little tip of the cap. Yeah. Well, I mean, Rogue Squadron has video games, yeah. novels, yeah. comic series. Like Rogue Squadron is a big deal to many Star Wars fans. I don't know. Maybe you're not a big Star Wars fan, <laughs> uh, Tucker. It's funny. you we're, When I mentioned WBC and a game that I played at WBC, uh, I was reminded of it when I was reading this ish because I played this game called Star Wars Rebellion, which is a one-on-one game. It's two players, although maybe you could make it more than that, but it's the Rebellion versus the Empire, and it is great because I think any story that tells an original trilogy-era tale, it's something that that needs is like overwhelming power on the side of the Empire against just like wild grit, determination, and just like insane cunning and just millions of gambits run somehow successfully um, on the part of the of the rebellion. And that's something that was really, for me, wonderfully captured in that game that I was playing. I ended up beating my friend Bill. I blew up the Death Star with uh, Luke Skywalker and got two victory points that took me to the win. It was very thematic. I made sure to play the trench run music as I was doing it. I was like, <laughs> hold on, hold on, before I do my move. And then I had two dice rolls. I did like a re-roll and I got it. My final roll it was awesome. But that's something that I really felt in this issue uh, and in the Hope Dies arc as a whole, it feels like you can really feel the the rebellion on the run in a really big way. And they're just getting by by the skin of their teeth every Mm -hmm. single time. 
Totally. Um, yeah, we've talked about Salva's art in previous couple of issues, which is still incredibly detailed and fun here. But there's one cool touch that I really dug, which is space in this issue is tinged red and orange and brown. I look at it as like the destruction, the death, everything in the midst of this horrible like field of war that that this is set in is built this haze and this like kind of horror backdrop to it. And I thought that was a really interesting bit of depth that it added to the story for me. Yeah, totally. Next up, we have more Star Wars on the way with Star Wars, The Last Jedi, the adaptation. This is part number five. Uh, It is written by Gary Whitta with art by Michael Walsh, colors by Mike Spicer, and letters by Travis Lanham. This issue takes us from the uh, Snoke's interrogation of Rey in his kind of throne room through the uh, Ben's betrayal, through the incredible, my favorite lightsaber fight ever in a Star Wars movie, the Rey and Ben fight against Snoke's guards. I like that you call him Ben and not Kylo Ren. He's Ben to Okay. All right. If we're going here. Um, when I went and saw The Forge Wiggins for the first time, opening night to December 2015, which I think of not only as one of the great moments in my life as a cinephile, but in my life, period, truly one of the best nights in my life, I think of the moment when Han goes out onto the bridge, onto that, you know, on uh, Starkiller base, and he, for the first time, we learn that Kylo Ren's real name is Ben. He shouts and it echoes through the entire, you know, the chasm I just immediately just crying so much just because it's one of those things that is just like it is so surprising and yet is so perfect. It makes so much sense. Like, of course, there is nothing else he could be named. So anyway, that's why I love it. And I will always call him that. Uh, It is the best. Uh, Yeah, we get more greatness from uh, Gary and Michael Walsh here because there's a little alternative angles to look at things. Specifically, the lightsaber fight with Ben and Ray here is is just so, so wonderfully executed. They have to cover so much ground here, uh, and they do it so well. They find time to to really pause and give these moments the weights the weight they deserve. And uh, you're you're seeing the movie as you're reading it, but it also stands alone wonderfully as a comic. The thing about those two pages of that fight sequence is that is such a difficult thing to like put to paper mm-hmm. after you've seen it, yeah, because there's all the choreography that goes into it. It is a a scene that is constantly moving too. Mm -hmm. There's so many bits and pieces and things going on. And I think they did such a great job. And there's little flourishes of like the lightsaber in motion or moving, you know, breaking the panel barrier and some of them. Mm -hmm. I thought that was just spectacular. Yeah, yeah. there's a moment in this fight, which is all like amazingly captured in like these super long steady cam shots where Kylo loses his saber and kind of has to like there's a moment specifically where one of the guards kind of slashes at his feet and he kind of like jumps backwards kind of runs stumbles away i could feel that in these panels you you feel like these little beats within this larger story beat of the fight it is so good we go all the way through the holdo maneuver um Uh, Maybe my favorite page of this week is that one, is that what it's called? The Holdo Maneuver? The, the, the fandom has coined it as such, yeah. Where she flies the the ship through the First Order. Yeah. Uh, but that page looks like that should be printed as a lithograph. Yeah. It is gorgeous. The shades of the blues and the grays and it is so simple yet so full of depth. It is 
that is one of the most beautiful pages this week. Yeah, and, and it's it's literally there are no words on the entire page, and and it somehow still captures the scale. Uh, it is so good. Next one is the last issue, and I'm sorry to see it go. This has been so so much fun. I'm really excited to see specifically the climactic final duel between Luke Skywalker and Kylo Ren on the planet of Kree. It's going to be really cool to see how you know th- this team continues to translate this in their own voice in their own way heck yeah all right next book up is weapon x number 21 written by greg pock and fred van lenti art by ricardo lopez ortiz colors by frank darmada and letters by joe caramagna now as donnie and his collaborators seem to be having just the best time whether it's on thanos or cosmic ghost Rider or whatever book he's doing at the time so do greg pock fred van lenti and ricardo lopez ortiz Ortiz does some of the wildest, wackiest panels here. It's very much like watching a cartoon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I say that in like the best possible way. Domino's face in most of the panels is just mischievous, sly, dangerous, cute. I just love it. It is frantic, big, sort of almost graffiti action here. Uh, There's a baby tiger in the middle of things. There's Omega Red being Omega Red. There's a surprise appearance by one of my favorite villains at the end. It's such a fun, evil team book. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though they're trying to be good, sometimes they're also, they're just like, they're a bunch of killers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, moving on to another X story. This is X-Men Gold number 33, and it's the start of a new arc. This is God War Part one. It's written by Mark Guggenheim with art by Michele Bandini, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by Corey Petit. This is a really cool new story as we continue to deal with the fallout of Kitty and uh, Peter's, you know, wedding problems. You know, that's we're seeing that across X books. We saw it, as you mentioned earlier, in Astonishing this week. We're still dealing with that in really, really wonderful ways. There continues to be these really great emotional beats where you can feel the realism of these characters bleeding through, you know, relentlessly. And uh, there's a great moment, you know, as we see kind of parallel to Kitty and Peter's relationship, these difficulties and these emotional moments happening. We see Kurt and Rachel Summers having kind of like parallel discussion and and really difficult moments that happen, but it feels so real. It always feels so real. What I love most, however, about this issue is the focus on Aurora Monroe. This begins what seems like a really, really, really interesting story that digs into her past, her family, and what that means to her. And it kind of spins her off on a little bit of a solo adventure, at least to begin. And that's something that I'm super, super excited by. She's one of my favorite characters. There is one really awesome, like, perfect storm page that I'm looking at. Wonderfully, wonderfully done by McKelly as she summons Stormcaster and just the lightning around her and everything. It looks so good. The costume is just incredible. It just looks awesome. Heck yeah. Storm is the best. The best. All right. Uh, Last book of the week is X-Men Gold Annual number two. This is written by Shauna McGuire with art by Marco Faila. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by Corey Petit, and this is Shannon's first Marvel story, and it is terrific. Uh, it's an old school Kitty Pride teenage adventure, angst and anti mutant fervor and smooching, <laughs> Kitty being awesome. Honestly, it just it felt like a classic Chris Claremont X Men story in all the best ways. I didn't look at the credits as I was reading it, and I was like. Did Chris write this? Did Mark write this? And I realized it was Shannon who wrote this. I was like, this is terrific. Mm-hmm. It is. It just feels 
so perfectly in line with Kitty and her history and her story. There was a great series about a young Kitty Pride with Wolverine called Wolverine First Class. Uh, you should definitely check that out. This book reminds me of that series a bit. But this is Kitty Pride in summer camp uh, and like that old adage can't go home again right like, yeah yeah it's a bummer she wants to go back home but things have changed people change it just felt very much like this coming of age story told mm-hmm. so so well and i know shannon has more work lined up for us i'm very excited to see what she has next oh yeah uh, we had a great astonishing x-men issue this week and there is more astonishing available in collection form this week we have Astonishing X-Men by Charles Soule, Volume 2, A Man Called X, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, The Ms. Marvel Years, Volume 2, Fantastic Four, Epic Collection, The Coming of Galactus, Marvel Legacy, Punisher Max by Garth Ennis, Omnibus, Volume 2, Rise of the Black Panther, X-Men Dark Phoenix Saga, Omnibus in hardcover, and X-Men Revolution by Chris Claremont, Omnibus in hardcover. On the Marvel app this week, a bunch of stuff, classic Strange Tales issues, a bunch in there. Starting to see more Scrollsy stuff. Mm. I'm excited about that. Digital collections on sale this week included the the books that Tucker talked about, as well as Death of Dracula, which is pretty neat. And then a What If, Civil War, uh, just a little collection of uh, a couple of What If stories. And then finally, on Marvel Unlimited, uh, two things I'm really jazzed about. Guidebook to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, two of those in here, Agent Carter Season 2 and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2. Bunch of other books this week, as well as Marvel's Avengers Infinity War Prelude Number 1. Definitely check that out, especially because the movie's hitting digital this week and the prelude's pretty cool. You're definitely going to want to check that out. Uh, That, so much more on Marvel Unlimited. We're going to put the full list for you on the news, uh, the news page, whatever you call it, you kids nowadays. Full list. Pull list. Ooh, yeah. full list, pull list. Yeah. Uh, also be in the show notes for you. Mm-hmm. We'll be back with another episode next week, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Why not? All right. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.